if you will, you can open up to John 13. John 13, we've been on the subject of growing up spiritually. We've called it on to maturity or growing up spiritually. And we've looked at various scriptures. There is a lot of scriptures in the Bible about growing up spiritually. It's an interesting thought because sometimes people think, you know, well, once you're saved, that's it. Once you give your life to the Lord, that's all there is to it. Then you just kind of wait till the Lord comes back or till you go to be with him, and that is it. But growing up spiritually has a lot of attributes in it like growing up naturally. And how many of you know there are certain things you have to do to grow up naturally? Isn't that true? I mean, some things we don't think about, but going to school helps people to grow up naturally. I don't know if you knew that. You know, what the play, not necessarily the playground, but it helps you to interact. But having discipline, uh, learning different things that are going to carry on through the rest of your life, you learn that in school. And so those things are important. Now, the school is not to take the place of the parent. Let me just say that again. The school is not to take the place of the parent. Let me, let me say that again. The, the school is not to take the place of the parent. And some of the things the school may teach may not be in line with what the parent should be teaching according to the Bible. Are you with me? And so the school was never meant to be that. that God, you know, God gave kids to parents when parents did certain things he made it so you could procreate and then it is our responsibility as parents how our kids get raised that is a huge way of thinking because anymore people just get frustrated why isn't the school teaching this why isn't the school doing this why isn't because some of it they should not be doing that's not to knock the school, part of the responsibility or the great responsibility of raising a child is on the adult who had the child. It's important because that same principle is true with God. Once a person has received the Lord, they receive new life. Growth in God is connected to God, our Father. And to the spiritual leadership that he puts us under, and we are to submit to that. Are you with me? Just like children are to submit to their parents. I know it's a little bit different because with spiritual people, you get full-grown people who get saved and become new. And they're an adult of 30 or 40 or 20 or whatever age. They come to the Lord and then they know, I'm already an adult. But they're not only an adult, they become new in Christ. And so as a child, we tell the child, you need to submit. You need to do this. You know, but you think about older ones, some of them go, you can't tell me what to do. 
let's just go out and come back in. No, you get what I'm saying. Uh, somebody who's older, uh, but we need to realize we might be older naturally, but we can be younger spiritually, and we need to grow. Are you with me? I mean, when Jesus had disciples following him, he would tell them, hey, let's go here, we do this. They had to make choices. Not all the choices they made were easy. As a matter of fact, sometimes they complained. They did. Remember one time, Thomas is like, he, he, the Lord said, let us go back to this city. The last time they were in that city, they tried to kill him. <laughs> Let's follow Jesus. And so he said, let us go back into that city. And they're walking behind him. And we know it's documented in the scripture. He said, yeah, let us go back that we all might die. <laughs> That's called complaining. Are you with me? That is an adult going, oh, brother, we're all going to go. But they knew we were supposed to follow. It didn't happen. But they, he was complaining. All I'm saying is, it is to our benefit to look in the Word and study, see what's there, see what God is saying in the Word of God. It is for our own spiritual development and growth. It is a good thing to grow up. There's nothing wrong with facing some things. It's not always ideal, but we see today in our society, they're training people, you know, just have no opposition. Don't learn how to deal with conflict. Don't ha learn how to deal with hard places. Ready or not, here it comes. And once they're not protected in a, in a school setting or a college setting where we can go to a safe place and I'm not knocking anybody I'm just saying sometime something's going to come and here's the thing even if we made all the conditions a certain way in the United States there are other countries that are evil that are opposed that want to dominate the world we know that we've seen it in history so we just need to know how to grow with God, walk with God, because answers to prayer, living in victory, growing in Him is a huge thing. And growing in Him is very important. So, if you will, John 13. John 13, if you're going on the mission trip, Juan, Juan. This is why I'm not a translator. Did I say it right, right? No, I didn't? Somebody didn't even know, so they're like, no. <clears throat> no. Well, don't go with me and translate with me, because I don't look good, and you're not going to help me. John 13. Hallelujah. Yeah, I've had my opportunities. I've traveled a bit, you know. And, you know, you ever go to, you know, try to communicate with somebody and you think just talking slower helps like now they understand english 
I had a lady in a store do the same thing to me in her language. You could tell she slowed down. Thinking that doesn't help, and I'm doing the same thing. She's thinking that doesn't help. She's probably told the same story to other people. There's this guy, John 13. Are we ready? This is at the end of Jesus' life on the earth. The reason why that is so important is because he was going to die, then he was going to rise from the dead, and then he was going to be seated in heaven until he comes back to rule upon the earth. Are you with me? So this is that transition time. Verse 33, it says, Little children, those are the people who are following him, that have been walking with him for over three years. Well, he's been doing this wonderful ministry upon the earth. He said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So I say to you. In other words, basically what he said here is we are going to be separated for a time. This is huge. He said, I'm going to leave, I'm going to be going to heaven. He explains it more later, but he said, I am not going to be with you. You are not going to be with me. When they were on the earth, the disciples walked with the Lord. Everywhere he went, they went. That is huge for what he's about to say. This is the day before or so that he gets turned over to be crucified. This is one of the last things, or this group of things, of the last things he said and he kicks it off with this statement. A new commandment I give you. A new commandment I give to you. So the Lord gave him and us who have received him a new commandment. You know, years ago when I got saved, there was this older gentleman, he was a pastor older than me, it's an older gentleman, and uh, he said, he was, I remember him teaching about the Ten Commandments, and he said, notice it's not the Ten Suggestions. This is not a suggestion. It's a command, and it's a commandment. He said, a new one, though, a new commandment I give to you. Here it is. That you love one another. How many have done this? You, you have kids. They're old enough to watch themselves. We're going out to dinner. We're going to be back in two hours. If your kids aren't that old yet, you're going to know exactly because you were a kid once. And if you had a sibling, this may have been true. You two better not fight. <laughs> you two better get along while I'm gone. Right? While we're gone. Isn't that true? Don't do this. Don't do this. He's leaving. He said a new commandment that you love each other. Notice what it says. As I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? How did Jesus love it's a huge thing. But notice this. That you also love one another the way he loved. By this, 
all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's a huge statement. Notice what he didn't say. If you pray a lot, everybody's going to know you're my disciple. If you preach a lot, everybody's going to know you're my disciple. It didn't say any of that. It said, if you love one another, you will know my disciple. You, that the world will know. You won't have to tell them. They will know that you are my disciples. Very interesting because up until this time, it was real easy to tell who was a disciple of Jesus, and you didn't have to know by love, you just see they were following him. You go, oh, they're, they're a disciple of Jesus. See, they're always in the crowd. They're always following. They're always going there. They're in the middle of this, you know. Oh, when he was there, I saw him there. But now he's not going to be there, so how are we going to be able to prove who is a disciple? Now, we said this last week, which is, this is huge. This is a big thing. In the New Testament and in the church culture today, the world, we hear this term, be a disciple of the Lord. Anybody ever heard that? You know, there's a discipleship class starting at the church, being a disciple, a disciple, a disciple. But we said this last week, that in the New Testament, you know, or in Jesus' ministry, one of the very last things he said is, make disciples of all men, teaching them to observe or do all things I told you. But he has... He has a group of people here. He's been teaching. He's passing this on. If it's one of the last things he said is teach people to be disciples, don't you think that's what we ought to do before he comes? Make disciples? Turn people into disciples of the Lord? But you know what's so interesting? If you know the Bible, in the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those four books. They're just, you know, commentary, basically, explaining the earthly life of Jesus till the time he died and rose again. The very next book is the book of Acts. It's just a book documenting the, the kickoff, the start of the church. Then you have Romans all the way back through, all the New Testament, all the letters to the church. The only place the word disciple is used is early on in the church. It's never used again in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, 1st, 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. I mean, you can go keep going all the way to the end and the word disciple or discipleship is never used again. Wasn't that important? Jesus, we, we do, you know, we, we know other churches or, you know, at some point if we had a discipleship class, isn't that important? Aren't we supposed to become disciples? But we mentioned this last week, are there terms that cover 
what a disciple looks like without using the word. And we read right here where Jesus said, all will know you are my disciples. So within being a disciple, whatever it is, there is the element of love. And loving one another. In other words, can you truly be a disciple or one growing with the Lord and not growing in love? All the writers in the Bible talked about love. And the world talks about love. And we need to realize this. They may not have the viewpoint of love that we do or that God does. There's a lot about love today. That if you love, you accept everything. And you believe in the way they think. And think the way they think. And that is love. Right? Don't, don't, doesn't the world say that type of thing? And, and is that true? Is that what Jesus was saying when he said, Love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If I'm not a forgiver, then the world's not going to know. If I hold things against people and hold grudges, they're not going to know I'm a disciple of the Lord. If I seek my own and am self-seeking in my life and how I treat people and it's all about me, will they know I'm his disciple. He said, no. That does not mean you're not saved. It just means they won't see and know. And if they don't see and know that you are his disciple by this, then another thing would be known is it says those who do not love do not really know God deeply. So if we want to get to know God deeper and really grow with God, fundamentally or in the roots of our growth has to be love. And so we always are going to have to go back here at some time and feed this area of love because it's ever and ever vital. Because remember, we read this last week, God is love. And if we're going to grow with God, we're going to have to grow in love. Now remember, the world has a view that may not exactly be in line with what love is from God's standpoint. Amen. So turn to Ephesians. We're going to jump through a couple of verses here, and we're going to look at a couple of very interesting things about love and about growing. Love, when you hear it, may not make you shout, but it will surely help us all. It will enhance our walk with God. It'll enrich the kingdom of God. It'll enrich how we do things. When when we put God first and we don't seek our own way, we're starting to grow in love. When we start to go, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to follow my plan, and it's not about Him, and it's not about the kingdom, I am starting to uh, not walk in love. 
Love's priority is God first. Are you with me? And God's ways first. Ephesians 4, verse 22. Notice this phrase. He's writing to believers, Christians, people who know the Lord. He said that you put off concerning the former conduct or your former lifestyle, the old man or the old way of living. It grows corrupt according to deceitful desires. In other words, there are desires of the old way of life that can be in your mind or that will come to your mind. That doesn't mean it's you if you're saved. I think sometimes people forget that there is a tempter. That there's not just God. That doesn't make us, you know, we don't need to be afraid. But we do need to know that there is a tempter. But notice he said, and, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And when he said in the spirit of your mind, he's basically saying, start working to change the core way you think. What would the purpose be? Verse 24, and that you put on the new man. Notice, put off the old, put on the new. One thing about growing with God is putting on the new. Now, putting on the new is not like, you know, you go to some store and you buy a new jacket and you say, I'm wearing it out. Anybody ever done that? You get shoes, I'm wearing them out. Put your old shoes in the box, you put the new ones on. And you walk out with them. You're like, oh, I like these. When he's talking about putting the new on, he's not talking about taking something from outside and putting it on. He's talking about something in you that you, and we talked about this, has been made new. When you've received the Lord, there's actually love in you. Don't go around telling people, you know, I'm Irish or I'm this. No, you're new if you've received the Lord. And what you're doing when he said you renew your mind and put on the new man, you're taking this new love. There is love in you if you've given your life to the Lord. And you are to put it on in your actions. In other words, you are to take this new nature that you receive in the Lord and you start acting according to it. You put it on in your actions. By this all men will know you are my disciples. Why? Because they'll see his nature starting to rule through you. You know, Paul said it this way. He said, I control my body. I don't let everything happen through my body. We teach our kids this, or at least they used to, bite your tongue. That might be a Christian statement. <laughs> bite your tongue. Don't let that come out. Why? Because it may be of the old way of thinking and not the new nature that you are in Christ. Are you with me? So notice this. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God. 
Do you know that when you received the Lord, you were created according to God? He didn't make you all messed up inside. He made you full of life and full of light, not in your mind, but in your spirit. That's why it said, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he's, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, he put new, a new nature in you. That new nature wants to rule you. God put it in you. Notice this. So he said, put off and put on. Now notice this in Colossians. And we read this verse last week, and then we're going to move past this. Colossians, the third chapter, talking about putting on, putting on love, putting on the new man. What is in the new man that you and I are to put on the outside? This will mend a marriage. This will mend a relationship. Remember how we said last week it, it weaves us together, it binds us together, and when people get outside of love toward one another, uh, they don't want to hold to each other and embrace one another, they want to push away. Love will forgive and hold. Are you with me? And God is the ultimate of that love no matter how perfect we are, nobody can take you from God's hand, the Bible said. Period. Now, when we're working with humans, we have to work on this love. Amen. You all must be sitting next to perfect people. Somebody said no. Colossians 3.14 says this, But above all these things, put on love. Why put it on? Because you have it in. It says, which is the bond of perfection. Now I'm going to read back in verse 12. It says, therefore, as the elect or chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercy, be merciful. We, we would say it like this, don't, don't be harsh. It's good to hear that sometimes, to be merciful to people. In other words, give people a chance to not always be perfect. If they miss it, have mercy. Have mercy. Then it says, put on kindness. So you could blend those two together. All right, I'm giving you mercy. No, no. Kindness with it. This is how God is. This is how you and I have been made new. So he said, put on mercy. And when he said, put it on, it means in our actions. Put on kindness. Boy, wouldn't this change the world. But think about it. He said... The world would know we belong to the Lord if we put on kindness. We put on these things. Humility. In other words, I don't exalt my own self or lift up myself. Humility lowers ourselves before God. Submits to God. It's very interesting 
the Bible tells you how to get promoted with God. He said, humble yourself and God will lift you up. He'll promote you. If somebody said, well, I want to move further and I want to be, and what's, I want to, I want to go higher with God, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble myself. Notice, he said, put on humility, meekness. Meekness literally is our ability to receive the Word of God without arguing about it. In other words, if God said it, okay. And he said we have to put that on. Then that means there might be times when we don't want to go, okay. Amen. He said long-suffering, which is literally like patience, but with people. And then he said bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now I'm going to read the very next verse that we read before, but I'm going to read it from another translation because we just went through this list. And we're talking about putting on love and not being like the world, but we're talking about putting on love. And we see there's kindness, there's humility, there's all these virtues that others would like to eat of. This gives something to other people to eat of that is very good. The Bible calls it the fruit of of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. This comes from God. The world needs to eat this. You know, have you ever, not that, needed. when I was in the world, I'm trying to say, I remember growing up in Southern California and I remember uh, my friend's grandmother had a place right on Huntington Beach, right there. And so they always had the, I think it was called the OP Pro or the surf thing there. When it first started in the 80s, we would be down there, so we'd go. And then at night, where if you're familiar there with the, the pier, Jack's Surf Shop, actually the road used to not be closed. You could drive, well, they would block it off. And, you know, the, at night, and now it's blocked off. I don't believe you can go up there. But then there would be guys doing tricks on skateboards and bikes, and there would be big crowds. And I remember a fight broke out one time. And it was pretty rough, and I was there with a few of my friends, and, and our thinking was, move to the edge, don't get in the middle, because uh, you don't know what's coming from different directions. You want to at least have somebody have your back, or an opening to where you don't get hit from somewhere you're not looking. Get what I'm saying? And this love does this for people. If somebody knows you have this, they can turn their back to you and be out here and know you're safe. The world needs that today. 
They need to know that we won't talk about other people, talk behind their back, not be kind to them. They'll know, regardless if they make fun of you, you're safe. There's something about you. I know in my experience in talking to other people that living and working in the world, in the secular world, there may be people who make fun of you, but if you live this, they'll still come back to you. I've had people make fun of me, call me Jesus. And not like Jesus, with the religious voice, you know. And make fun of me. And I've had the same people call me and say, I know I mess around and I know I made fun of you, but I know what you have is real. Can you help me? And here's the thing, the world knows. Jesus said, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so when he said, put all these on, kindness, these are different, really, mercy or really humility are attributes of love. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 in the Amplified Bible tells us that love is kind. It tells us love has meekness. It tells us there love has humility. So you could say these are aspects of love, but then notice what the 14th verse says, and I'm going to read this from the New International Bible. It says this, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The New Living Translation says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds all together in perfect harmony. Notice this. This love should influence all these areas where we're applying these characteristics. It binds them together. It does something. The world would give us a definition of love, but what we want is God's definition of love. We know love does not seek its own rights, or it's not seeking its own ways, for it is not self-seeking. That doesn't mean that I go with everything the world says. Are you with me? It means I'm going to go with the way God says it. The world may oppose me. The world may not like it. They may call me names. I'm not going to call them names back. We're not. We're going to grow in this. And people are going to recognize who we belong to. This will help every avenue and aspect of life. Now notice this in Romans 13. And we won't go much longer, but these verses right here are um, phenomenal. All of them are. They're from God's Word. But notice this in Romans 13. And we're going to read a statement here that, that if we're not careful, we might be able to just read right over it and miss out on something he's trying to say that I think goes counterculture to the way the world is today. I mean, if you're on social media, if you watch the news, they'll tell you if you love then you can do anything, be accepting of everything, and uh, that's what love is. There's a real interesting thought about love here 
that just seemed to stand out as I was getting ready for today. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except except to love one another. Now I'm going to read a different translation. The New Living. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. It is an obligation. It's a commandment. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirement of God's law. Now we're going to go back. We should realize this. There are not a lot of obligations in serving the Lord. But, you know, we, we today would tell people, we'd teach our kids, pay your bills, don't get in over your head, don't, don't borrow more than you can pay back, and th- at least we should be teaching them that, right? And we should be thinking that way. How many people have ever been in debt, and then you get out of debt, and you're like, man, those credit card companies didn't love me at whatever percent they were visiting me on. But you get out of it, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, what a relief. I don't owe anybody anything anymore. But we do. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. Owe nobody any obligation anymore except the obligation to be kind, to not seek your own, but look out what's for the best for others. Now, if you say that and don't read these verses, you or I could possibly walk away with a wrong opinion about love. Notice this. Owe no one anything except for to love one another. Jump down to verse 10. Love does no harm or ill to his neighbor. Now, if we hear those alone, we could go, yeah, love does no harm to his neighbor. In other words, I never ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't do anything. Just, you know, whatever they do is okay. And um, just I'm loving. Are you loving? We're all loving. We all come together. We're loving. We're loving. We're loving. We're loving, we're loving some more. But did you notice? And we're still loving. And you love me and I love you. We're one big happy family. I think it might be a song. As Barney or something. Anyway. um, But there's more. I think that's part of his song. Um, Not the peanut butter and jelly one, the other one. But notice verse 8, Owe no man anything except to love one another. Verse 10, Love does no harm to its neighbor. Works no ill to anybody. But what does that mean really? Let's read those again and read on. Owe no one, verse 8, Anything except for to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, if I love, I won't break any of the Ten Commandments. Do you know we're not told to 
follow the Ten Commandments in the New Testament? We're told to follow this new commandment. And if we follow it correctly, we won't break any of the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, they failed at keeping the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, he puts love in us, tells us if you can follow this, and you can or I can, he said you won't break any of the Ten Commandments. Notice verse 10. Love does no harm to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Isn't it interesting? Both statements are finished with, you won't break any commandment if you walk in love. Remember, one of the commandments is this. Serve God alone. Don't have any idols. Have Him as the highest. If I'm walking in love, won't break that commandment. If God is not the highest, I'm not walking in love. So I put on love. Notice this, verse 8 ends with love is the fulfilling of the law. Love one another, you have, he's fulfilled the law. Verse 9, he said this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Sex outside of marriage. That's okay today, just love everybody. I can love somebody who does that. I can be patient, I can be kind, but this right here tells me it doesn't accept it as a viable thing or something that's correct. And if I walk in this love, now if I've ever committed adultery or I've ever stolen or ever had other gods before the Lord, meaning idols, it's because I stepped outside of love. Amen? Why? Because love does no harm to someone else. These things actually that he's about to tell us that we see in the commandments are actually outside of God's design and they actually are hurtful for people. not in the design God has them for. Now, humans might say, oh no, these are great. Everybody should do all this stuff. It's okay to lie to one another. But we don't, may not realize when people say that, that lies originated with Satan, not with God. So it goes outside of his design. I've heard this before, you know, Sometimes if you really want to go with God, you're just going to have to put away certain things and, and uh, miss out on some things. Maybe we ought to look at it like this. If I'm going to walk with God further and further, I'm going to enter into more by walking more like Him. And I'm not going to be missing out on things because the things that they say you're missing out on are actually ultimately destructive and harmful. We don't hate the world. We just realize they're living a certain way. And some of those things that they do 
are destructive. They're outside of creation and creation's design. So when he said, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. And we know that if somebody from their heart is bitter and unforgiving to somebody, the Bible calls that murder. But do you know we're all capable as believers to forgive one another and let stuff go? It's healthy, spiritually. Notice this. A murderer, you shall not bear false witness or lie. Notice it goes on to say, you shall not covet or want something that belongs to somebody else and not you. That doesn't mean you can't want certain things. Like, oh, they have this jacket, I like that. I want one like that, but I'm not going to take their jacket. Or something that's dear to them and take it from them. You shall not steal, it says. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These things inflict pain and harm on other people. And so he basically said, walk in love, you won't do any of these. And so when he talked about fulfilling the law here, when you hear people in the world say, well, we need to be loving of all people. I agree, we do need to love all people. God loves all people. But to say love is accepting of every lifestyle and every choice somebody makes, and, they, and then lying's no big deal and all that. Here's the thing. There is not a Christian in the world that when they have lied, it didn't bother them. Why? Why can the world do that and not be bothered into somebody who's given their life to the Lord? Because they have a new nature. All we're really teaching about when we talk about growing up spiritually is watering that new nature, renewing the mind so that we start living it out. And we are a forgiving person and we're a patient person. And notice he said they're summed up in this, all commandments, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, it got quiet in here. It's challenging, but when we start realizing this love will be great. Why would somebody, you know, I don't know that we have this here, but I've heard this before where somebody will come to church and one person will sit on one side and another on another and they love the church, but they won't sit near, near each other because they've got something between them. 
not a hundred seats, but something in their heart. And, uh, and I remember this one preacher one time hearing him talk. He said, man, I wanted to lay into those people. He said, but I, I just taught on love. Just taught on love. He said, I'd teach on love in heaven. He said, when I was first there, he said, I taught more on love in heaven because of the people where they were at with one another than I did anything else. Now, don't think I'm teaching on this because of that. Because this is part of growing up. It's something we, we have to water on a regular basis. Are you with me? So don't be looking around. Who's he talking? I'm, I'm not talking about anybody. But I'm talking about everybody because we all need to grow with the Lord. Are you with me? And if we want to fulfill the commandments and we want to do what's best for other people, he tells you these things harm people. Don't covet. Don't lie. Don't do this. And when you walk in love, it will be a great help to other people. And it's actually the way of the Lord. Amen.